Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Open them to Acts chapter 1, and I draw your attention there to verse 8, where we left off. Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, in the Bible study I've entitled, God's Strategy for Reaching the World. What is God's strategy for reaching the world? Because God does have a strategy. So much money is spent, so many seminars are attended, so many pastors want to find the new program, the new strategy, maybe even you wanting to learn, how do I reach the lost? How can God use me? What is it that I need to do? What do I need to learn? And on and on that list goes when the answer is profoundly simple. So often we miss the substance of what God's teaching us because it's so simple. God's strategy for reaching the lost hasn't changed. It hasn't changed from the first century. It hasn't changed from the promise of Jesus, from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It hasn't changed. It's found right here in verse 8, chapter 1. But you shall receive power. And you already circled that. You, You will receive the dynamic dunamis power of God. You will receive the Holy Spirit's power. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And notice, immediately you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is it. This is God's strategy. He's still using this today in reaching the lost. Now, I want you to pause for a moment now sitting here in this climate-controlled room in the 21st century in a relative place of comfort and ease. I want you to consider this. I want you to really grasp this. I want you to think about it when you leave. I want you to consider this in the depth of what I'm about to share with you because it's so vital and so important. I want you to consider right now the immense amount of people on the planet that are considered unreached. It might shock you, the number I'm going to share with you in a moment. The the amount of people that are unreached on the planet Earth right now. I looked it up on a trusted website that we use here. It's called the joshuaproject.net. You can look it up for yourself, joshuaproject.net. I'd also encourage you to download their app. Because every day I get a notification, and you can too, to pray for an unreached people group around the world. Every single day my watch buzzes, and I look at it to remind me that there is yet another people group around the world that is unreached. It represents 24% of the known population. As I speak right now, according to joshuaproject.net, 1,878,000,000 people are unreached. It only speaks of, this is the 100 largest unreached people groups. It represents 0.6% of the world's people groups, but it represents 24% of the world's population. 1,000,000. 878,683,000 people. That's unreached. That's not unsaved. The unsaved number is much larger. The amount of people today that are not born again, 
in our lives. I mean, this is an amazing statistic. The number is so big that it may not make any difference to you, but you can reduce, reduce those numbers down to maybe your fr- friends and family that aren't saved, those people that are closest to you, the people that you work with, your neighbors. After 2,000 years of evangelism, 2,000 years of faithful evangelism, we know is faithful because you and I are saved today. The gospel has carried on into the 21st century. But after 2,000 years of evangelism, there are still 1.9 billion people that are unreached and more billions that are unsaved. Now, it is important to understand, and we know this to be true from Revelation chapter 14, that at the end of the great tribulation period, God is going to use an angel to spread the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, so there'll be no excuse. Everyone that's alive, everyone will have the opportunity to hear the gospel through an angel, but he hasn't chosen to do that now. He could, but he hasn't chosen. You see, we know the strategy, as we'll see in a moment, but the methodology Well, the methodology is the same too. Throughout the book of Acts, extending into our church, which is an extension of the book of Acts, the methodology that God uses in reaching the lost is the Spirit of God using the Word of God through the people of God to reach the lost. That that is his methodology. God is an evangelistic God, and he uses his Spirit in and upon us to, to open up the Bible and share it with others, people to people. And of course, we have technology now, we have opportunities now that other generations didn't have, so I think there's a greater responsibility on us than ever before. The Bible says, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. And God has enabled us to do exactly what he wants us to do the way he wants us to do it. So you've got the angel at the end of the great tribulation period preaching the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, so it's all covered then and now. So what about in the middle? What about for us now all the way through? What is it that God would have for us to reach the lost? And it's this simple strategy. It's this simple obedience and surrender of our lives to him. And it begins with just caring, caring for the lost. It begins with just caring for other people other than yourself, for taking notice of hurting people and and struggling people and difficult situations and the world's condition the way it is understanding that in all the difficulties in the world today it's people that suffer the most under oppressive situations some of you are under oppressive situations right now that's what's got your attention toward god that's what made you start thinking about well maybe god is true and maybe church might work and maybe that jesus and maybe christianity and i'm i'm glad you're asking those questions even if you ask them you know with a with a little bit of skepticism or a little bit of hesitancy because of the difficulties of this world. And by now, for those of you that have made Calvary your home, by now you know the vision of our church. But if this is your first time or you've never heard this before, I want to introduce to you the vision of our church, the purpose of our church. Because you know, there's a lot of great churches in town, all over town. There's a lot of great churches doing a lot of great things. And then there, here we are on the corner of Hampton and Biscay, right here in Southeast Aurora. Here we are. So why do we exist? If there's all kinds of great churches in town, why would God start another church? Why would he gather another group of people? Why would we exist? And we've summarized the vision of our church in just one word. So you could say, what's the vision of your church? Here's the answer. The vision of our church is evangelism. 
God has put us on the planet so that the Spirit of God could use the Word of God through, the lives, through our lives to reach the lost. We want to participate in exactly what Jesus came to do. Remember what Jesus came to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. That We want to be a part of that. that that's what I believe God's mandate is upon our church, to seek and to save the lost. To, to extend our lives in love and grace and mercy in very practical ways in reaching the lost in our lives. Seeing lives change, seeing families change, seeing communities change through the gospel. Now, if our vision is evangelism, then we have a responsibility. Evangelism comes with a responsibility, and we reduce that down to three words. When, disciple, and send. When, disciple, and send. We have a responsibility, number one, to win a person to Jesus. To win a person to Jesus. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. It is a wise thing to be used of God in seeing souls won by the gospel. Now, Again, we use the word win. It could be easily misunderstood because winning almost implies losing, like it's some kind of competition. That's not how we're using that word, that definition. The idea of this win is to see a soul and a heart won over by the love of Jesus. We're not in any competition with any churches. Uh, we're not trying to win more than the other church. Or the, we just want to see people's hearts won over by the love and mercy of Jesus. And once a person is won over, number two, we have a responsibility to disciple that person in Jesus. We win a person to Jesus, then we disciple that person in Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. The word disciple in the original language means learner. So we want to see people learn and grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because even Peter told us in 2 Peter that we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So we want to make you a learner. And this is a lifelong process. The role of the pastor teacher is to teach the word of God. Why? So that you would be equipped. My role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So then in your maturity, as you grow, you participate in what God has. We is the language of ministry. We all get to serve the Lord together. And depending on where we are in our walk and, and the maturity level and what, how God wants to use us, our gifts and, and our upbringing, all those unique things about us, God uses us together as the body of Christ. It's beautiful. And then thirdly, we also then send a person. That, as that person matures, they are sent out for Jesus, which is where we are in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You become witnesses, and you're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of there. Like, in a moment, we're going to leave here in just a few minutes, 30, 35 minutes. We're going to head out of this building, and once again, you will be sent out on mission. Once again, you've come in to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be challenged, to be corrected, rebuked, instructed, whatever it is God's doing in your life right now, and then you're going to go. And you're going to go with the gospel because you are the church. And as you're sent, you're constantly sent, continually sent, every day, all day, into a world that so desperately needs you. And this is the direction and the people that we're to look for in spreading the gospel. Notice with me in verse eight. 
you have some concentric circles, if you will, of being drawn here of how and where to take the gospel. Number one, he says, he tells them, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. If you're taking notes, the gospel always starts at home. It always starts at home. He's speaking to those in Jerusalem at the time, and he says, look, you need to be faithful at home first. So not only in the, in the city of Jerusalem, but also at home. Let's take a step back and say, if you're ever going to be effective in the city that you live in, you first are effective at home. The gospel is really at home. That's where it's lived out, in your house, behind closed doors, as a single person, as a married person. If you're renting a room, in a condo, in a townhome, that's where it is. I was thinking that the best example that I can think of is kind of like Instagram today. You know, Instagram is the highlight reel of someone's life. You know, if they got a really nice meal, they snap a picture, here it is. And I'm always interested in what people, oh, that's a really interesting meal. But nobody's really posting pictures of warmed over macaroni and cheese from four nights ago. Because that's real life. You know, it's, you're not always at every restaurant. You're not always eating burgers this big. You're not always. Those are highlights. They're encouraging days. You had a great trip. You had a great vacation. You're not always on vacation. It's a highlight reel. And I find that as well. You know, kind of being together for a time as we gather for church is kind of like your high. You guys are all mostly on your best behavior. You're on your best behavior. You know, you, you, maybe you don't take a shower every day. For church, you took a shower. You know, it's like you put your best clothes on and you got the highlight reel. And, and that's great. We'll take the highlight reel. We'll be encouraged together. It's fantastic. But you want to know where the gospel really lives, lives at home. Where people see you all day just as you are. And I, I don't mean, you know, if we, the best way that we could see that is if we were visitors to your house. But then if we announced that we were visiting, you go clean up all your house and we wouldn't see it the way it is anyway. Because that's how it is. It's like, clean it all up. Pastor's coming over. We got to have everything in order. No, just live the way you normally live. It's fine. Because it's where the gospel is. And so when you think of that, once your home is in order, so we spend all that time studying on our Family Matters series, when your home is in order, then you have a responsibility to your city. So for our church, our city, Aurora, this is where God planted us. I know many of you come from different cities, and that's great and wonderful, you have your own little home base when you go home. But for us as a church, we have a responsibility to our city. North, south, east, west, Aurora. That's where we are witnesses to our city. That's where God planted us. And that is our primary responsibility to our Jerusalem is Aurora and the surrounding neighborhoods. But then notice he says in verse 8, after Jerusalem, you're good to go to Judea and Samaria. So if you have a Bible map in the back a map in the back of your Bible, you'll notice that Judea is the region around Jerusalem. So you can see now the circles widening as you have a responsibility not just to your city, not just to your home. Why do you have a strong home? So you can help other homes. Why do you have a strong church? So you can help other churches. Why are you faithful in your city? So you can be faithful in a broader metro area, which includes all the cities you live in. Everywhere you come from, from Golden to, to Strasburg to all, everything in between. We have a responsibility to the Denver metro area, to the state of Colorado, to the United States of America. We are to be witnesses unto Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to think about this. This isn't the instruction in the first century. You've got to understand this, church. 
Because when you think about your city, you may only think bad, negative things. I mean, think of Aurora. Think of how many people make fun of Aurora in the metro area. They got all kinds of names for our city. They make fun of it. Oh, that's where you... I remember from when we first moved here, we started sharing the gospel with people. They go, you were called to Aurora? Don't you understand Aurora? And I've got, no, I don't understand anything. That I'm just here to plant a church, and I just love the people here, and I'm learning to meet them. But I'm not loving you so much right now because you got a bad attitude toward this city. You know, that kind of conversation. But maybe some of you make fun of Aurora. Stop it. The wonderful people live in this city. God loves this city. Send us on Jesus Christ for the die for the people of this city. 400,000 plus people live in this city. Church planters are praying about coming to this city right now. God loves your neighbor in the front, in the back, across the street. And you guys listening from afar, stop making fun of our city. We don't make fun of your city. Stop making fun of our city. Why? I'll tell you why. When you begin to think of your city, oh, the crime rate, like, oh, like we're the only ones with crime. Just because money can cover a crime doesn't mean crime's not there. Just because it's not being reported doesn't mean it's not there. Crime is everywhere. Why? Because the heart of man is bad and sin destroys. I think of my friend in, in Vegas, you know, they get such a bad rap. Sin city. Like they're the only city with sin. Like they're not the only city with sin. And, and it's, the regular people live all throughout Las Vegas that they're reaching with the gospel right now. It's unbelievable. But we like to label. We like to label. And I, I was so appreciative of Pastor Miles McPherson when we all went through his book together as a staff, The Third Option. He said something that will stick with me until Jesus comes back. He put into words really what I've been thinking, but he put it so much better. He, he talked about labeling people. And he says, you know, the reason why we label people is because if I can see you as a label, then I won't see you as a neighbor. And if I don't see you as a neighbor, then I can excuse myself from not loving you. Because that's what Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor. But if you're just full of, if you're just a criminal, uh, then maybe you're not a neighbor. If you're just a prostitute, uh, you know, you're not. If you're homeless and all the different labels that we have, if, you, if you're a label, then somehow in my mind, I excuse myself from loving you and serving you with the agape love of God. Because that's where we, you have the region of Judea, but then you also have Samaria. For many years, I, gra I grouped them together, not really seeing the distinction that I see today. I've grown and matured in my understanding of the word. Samaria was mentioned on purpose individually because Samaria represented a group of people that was avoided by the Jews. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. They, they've, they felt like ethnic, ethnically they were unreachable, untouchable, even as they felt like the Gentiles. And God, they felt that about that, that way about the Gentiles, and God's going to blow that out of the water too. He, he's going to teach them the gospels for everyone, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, including Samaria. What kind of words could we use today to describe Samaria? Well, Samaria would be today, and using words today, would include people that are unwanted, neglected, excluded, that are treated differently because of their racial makeup, because of their economic situation, because of prejudice, because of the disenfranchisement that they experience. And all the things, Samaria are the people that many believers today want to avoid. 
Jesus says, no, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit's gonna, hey, it starts in Jerusalem, Judea, but don't forget the Samaritans. Don't you forget them. You go to them specifically. Be led by my spirit to go to the people that are being neglected. Don't label them. Don't make fun of them. Just go to them. Be a witness. Live out your Christian life in people, especially those that want to avoid Samaria. And I know some at this point will go, oh, wow, what happened, Ed? Have we now started preaching a social gospel? You know, that's another label, social gospel. I looked up the word social, uh, and I thought it was interesting. I looked it up because we, we, I understand the lo- there's a loaded phrase with the social gospel. And, and what the social gospel is, is not the gospel at all. Actually, if you want to adapt to a social gospel, you've got to flip the words around. Gospel always comes first, first and foremost. It's the death, resurrection, uh, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's his blood that saves. It's not your own works. The gospel first. But let me tell you something. The gospel is profoundly social. Because notice what the word social means. It is a very simple definition. Social means relating to society. That's what social means. So you bet the gospel is going to affect society. We're going to read in the book of Acts, when the believers came to town, they said, oh no, those that turn the world upside down have come here too. Why? Because wherever the gospel goes, it disrupts society. It is profoundly social. So the fact that we want to help the poor doesn't make, this, doesn't make it a social gospel. It is the gospel affecting society. The fact, that we, the fact that we want to minister to people that have been mistreated, that have been neglected, that have been abused, the fact that we stand up for people that don't have a voice in the womb is profoundly social, but the gospel always comes first. It's gospel social. If you want to use that phrase from now on, just say, it's, yeah, we're in the gospel, and it changes society. I, I want to be a part of the change of society, don't you? I, I want to see the gospel change lives. I want to see homes change, neighborhoods change. I want to see people change, and so does Jesus. That's why he died and rose again. But you know what happens is you think about the city, and you think about oh, all the problems and all oh, the political and all oh, the mayor. You think about the state, and you go, all oh, the problems, all the difficult, all the taxes, all the governor. You think about the country, all the problems, all the difficulties, all the president, all the that. You start thinking politically, and no longer are you living in the gospel. When you start thinking about the city, think about the lost. When you start thinking about Colorado, think about the lost. When you think about the United States of America, think about the lost. Because let me tell you something, if you don't think about it, who will? Who's going to take the gospel to our city? Who's going to take the gospel to our state? Who's going to take? I I understand. It's much easier to sit around and be a critic. But I'm telling you right now, God is calling you to stop being a critic and become the witnesses that you already are by faith. That's the work he wants to do in your life. That's his heart for us as a church. That's his heart. It hasn't changed. This isn't anything new. This is right here in the first century. This is right here in the first century. He wants it then and he wants it now. I'm super concerned about the church and about our church. We've lost our way. We've gotten caught up in things that aren't eternal. I mean, if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, those two verbs, seek and save, if there were two verbs to describe your life, what are they? Is it complain and criticize? I showed up to complain and criticize. 
Well, what's that? How's that working for the gospel? How is that opening doors for you to share? How is that making you a better, better salt and light in a very corrupt world? Like, I understand we all have opinions and we, we all have conditions in the world. That, like, we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of our country. We're citizens of heaven. I get that. And I just wanted to suggest to you that it is okay to hold an opinion. You know, oh, this is unfair and oh, this is right. I believe if you ever start feeling like there's nothing unfair in this world, you become a friend of this world. Because for a follower of Christ, there's going to be a lot of things that are unfair, a lot of things that are wrong, but, but, but really we're living in a time where there's a lot of unfairness and all, to everyone's facing it. But you're facing it differently, church, because you have the hope of Jesus Christ by faith. You know this is not all there is. He has saved your life, forgiven you of your sins, changed you, flipped you right side up. You're a new creation in Christ. Live that way, church. Live that way in a world that doesn't see any hope, that thinks it's all lost and only measure things in money and possessions. And, you know, we, we have all these ways to exclude people from the gospel. There's a popular one right now. I mean, it's probably been popular forever, but they got a phrase for it. It's that phrase, not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Really? Christians are saying that. Not in my back. I want to help. Not in my backyard. Yeah. And that really helps the gospel, not in your backyard. If not in your backyard, then who? Uh, their backyard. Yeah, but God put you there. It's his house. He gave you that house. He gave you that apartment. He gave you that backyard for a reason. He wants stuff to be happening in your backyard so that you can connect with the people that are close to you in your community, your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, uttermost part. If it's not your backyard, then man, maybe you need a new backyard a new heart for the Lord. You know, we have these conflicting things. We do have the flesh. We don't want to walk in the flesh. We need to crucify the flesh. We need to make no provision for the flesh, but we want to walk in the spirit. You know, every once in a while, something's going to show up in your backyard. And what will you do? God has given you a gift to reach the lost. He's given you a mandate to reach the lost. Our God is an evangelistic God. He hasn't changed. Flip over, would you, to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. So we want to see the things the way Jesus does. The strategy of reaching the world is the same. He, he wants us to go, to be a part of what he's doing on the earth today. He doesn't want us protecting our comfort and ease. He wants us stepping into the mess of people's lives and the mess of people's sinful content. He wants us in the mess of life because life touched by sin, is a mess. It's challenging. It's hard. But God has given us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, to walk into the difficulties of life, Galatians chapter 5. Notice what Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into, mark this word, every city. And now, of course, this wasn't every city. That was, it was every city that he was about to go. But the word every is super important. Like, like you're not going to look like in any city. Jesus is going to go to every city. You go there first. Prepare the way. And he said to them, notice, the harvest is truly great. Some of your Bibles might say plentiful. It might be an old King James. That's how I remembered it. The harvest is truly great. But the laborers are few. Few. 
This is a contrast. Again, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word few and circle the word great and just write an arrow. The harvest is amazing all around us. It's great. But any pastor will ask you, where are the laborers? Where, where, where is it happening? Where are the people stepping in? Now, don't misunderstand me at this point. This is not a call to serve in the church. I'm not asking for more laborers, to, for ministries. And as a matter of fact, serving in the church is just a great practice for when you leave, where you get to practice on one another, practice with people that know the Lord, work through issues. Why? So you can learn how to work through issues with people in the world. So this isn't a call, we need more servants. This is a call for outside of this building, the harvest. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes. The harvest is great. The harvest of what? Souls. It's just ready. It's ready to go into. But where are the laborers? The harvest. You know, there's this saying that you find what you're looking for. You know, being the realist that I am, or Marie might say pessimist, but I choose realists, just see things for what they are. Uh, if I'm looking for something to correct, I'll find it. If I'm looking for something to improve, you know, I have that gift of administration, I'll find it. Because you, you find what you're looking for. If I'm looking for something to encourage, I'll find it. Something to praise, I'll find it. If I'm looking for something to criticize, I'll find that too. If I'm looking for something to complain about, never a lack for that. How about this with people? Are you looking for the lost? Because you'll find them. You're like, well, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in so long. That's just because you're not looking to do that. You're just not looking to do that. Because if you were looking to do that, you'd have more people than you could handle. You wouldn't even know what to do with them if you were looking for it. Like, like if you were looking for the lost, Jesus says, the harvest is great. The problem is, is the church is looking in and not out. It may be a few of you today. It may be many of you today. It could be you guys on the radio. I don't know. But the problem is we look in and not out. I mean, this would be, if we just obeyed, here in Luke 10, what Jesus is doing, if we just obeyed that, it would solve 99% of the church problems we have. All the bickering and backbiting and all the little sins in the church, it would be solved if the church was outreaching the lost. If they were busy about the Father's kingdom, if we would, like for example, I was thinking, you know, Ed, you might go, Ed, I don't even know where to look. I'll give you where to look. Here's step number one. Go to the hospital. Go to the hospital in your community. What, what am I supposed to do? Go visit somebody. Well, I don't know anybody. You don't know anybody yet. Just go and say, go, go in there and say, is there anybody that needs a visit? And you might find that the person at the desk goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, there's this family and as they take you in. And if not, if, if they don't let you, just follow a doctor all the way through. Just follow a doctor like you're with him. Just follow him right, right onto, the, onto the elevator and follow him to get on a floor and just knock on the door. Hi, I'm just here to visit and pray with you. Come on in. You actually do that? Yes. You'd be surprised when you carry a Bible around a hospital, how they leave you alone. <laughs> you just walk around. Uh, I just did a visit not too long ago with Pastor Micah up here in Aurora North. It's the behavioral unit. It's the mental health unit. Or they, they converted the whole hospital to mental health. We were visiting a sister in there together, two by two. But when we were done, instead of going to the exit, we took a right to the gathering area and we prayed for this brother that was just walking the halls and he was truly sick and he was truly hurting mentally. 
but you don't just write him off. You, you, I looked him in the eye, got his name, asked him how he was, and asked him if we could pray for him. And I said, can we touch you? You know, we just don't put our hands on him. Can we touch you so you know? Yes, please touch him. We prayed for his mental health. It's all over. You look for it. We could have prayed for every single one, but then somebody came and escorted us out, and we were done. And it's just fine. It's just fine. We'll just do what the Lord has for us. And if you can't get on an elevator with a doctor or a nurse, that's fine. The ER has a waiting room, and there are so many people there worried about the person in the ER because they won't let them in. If you look at certain, you, you can see them. They all huddle up in sections, families. They huddle up all throughout the ER. And if you're very observant, you might see someone crying. You might see a sniffle. You might see a bunch of tissue. You might see an empty. If, if, if you look for it, you'll find it. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, he said, Ed, I've never done that before. I know, but you'll, you start doing it. You'll have more people to pray for than you. You, you don't want to go in the ER? Walk around the outside. Go to the parking lot. People are walking to their cars. And, and you just walk. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you here in the hospital? Yeah, I work here. Okay, well, how, you know, and you start talking about work. Well, yeah, my son is up on the third floor. You talk about this. Like the opportunities are endless. You don't have to go somewhere you don't know. You go to work every day. There are people all over your office. You have a boss. You have a coworker. Like, like you know, we get caught up in all the stuff that, that absolutely means nothing for the kingdom of God. And every day people are walking right by us. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. So what does Jesus tell them to do? He says, pray. That's what he says. Remember in, in Acts, he says, uh, I want you to go, but before you go, wait. This time, earlier, he says, I want you to go, but before you go, pray. So two things we can do before we go. Pray and wait. Pray. That's what he says. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. I mean, there's, this ratio exists still today. So much more harvest than there are laborers. But pray. And as you pray, what will happen? You will be the answer to your prayer. It's not pray for all the laborers. It's just one more. All you need is one more. You. If you're married, take your spouse with you. Take your kids. Take your kids along and say, hey, come with me. I want to show you something. I want to show you somebody that needs prayer. I want, to, I want even if you sat in the ER and you showed your kids the hurt and pain that's in the world. And you pray, I mean, amazing opportunities abound in these last days. Maybe you're caught up in things that are just wasting your time. <clears throat> wasting your time. We don't want self-action. Because you know, spiritual action without prayer can actually become self-action. There are a lot of people who get involved in so-called ministry serving God, but they really aren't called to that area. They really don't belong there because they haven't prayed. They haven't prayed. People get burned out because they're not serving in the spirit. They get burned out because they're complainers. Complaining will burn you out so quickly. The ministry that God's called you, the way that God has called you, and the power that God's given you will be joyful. You'll be tired, but it'll be joyful. It'll be satisfying. You, you will feel, you will literally feel good by helping someone else. It, it will spark the endorphins and everything. You will feel good being an agent of change. Jesus says, pray for laborers. He doesn't say pray for supervisors. He doesn't say pray for foremen or onlookers. He wants laborers. Get into the work, church. Jump in and serve him. Oh, but pastor, I, I can't. I can't. I'd love to serve like you do, Ed, but I'm not in full-time ministry. 
I'm not in full, maybe one day when I'm in full-time ministry, I can serve like you. Now you got it all wrong. That's a complete misconception of full-time ministry. You are in the full-time ministry right now. It's not by position or title. It's not who signed your check. Like, it doesn't matter if if Walmart signs your check, you're in full-time ministry. If UPS signs your check, you're full-time. If the government signing your check, full-time ministry. If you're at home taking care of the kids, full-time ministry. I want you to change the thought for a second and go, okay, Ed, one day I'll be a full-time Christian. Then I'll serve the Lord. What, what, are you a part-time Christian? Is that what you're saying? You're just kind of doing it every once in a while? No, you're a full-time Christian, which puts you into full-time ministry. It doesn't matter where your check comes from or what your title might be. Many Christians are confused by that phrase, but you need not be. The truth is we're all in the full-time ministry. And with those giftings that God has given us, he moves us and mobilizes us into a world with God's love. Listen, full-time ministry is normal Christianity. It's entry level all the way to the end. You jot that down. Full-time ministry is normal Christianity. It's not something you attain to one day. It's not something you grow into or mature into. The millisecond you're born again is the millisecond you're in the full-time ministry. You are now a servant of God. The only question is, is are you a faithful servant or an unfaithful servant? Are you being used by him or you continue to live a selfish life? Selfish. Selfishness will hinder the gospel. When you care more about yourself than you care about others, it will hinder you for the gospel. And you'll have all the Christian language. You might have some new cause you're into. That's all you talk about. It's Christian this, Christian that, and you have no care or concern for the lost. And so you can, and I can be very self-deceived because of selfishness, trying to protect and guard instead of give, instead of serve, instead of surrender. Jesus has called us to infiltrate, not isolate. The answer to this world's problem is not all the Christians huddling up and moving to the mountains so we can protect ourselves. It is to get into the world and love people in the name of Jesus. It's to serve them. It's to love them. God has placed you where you are in your neighborhood, in your job, in your singleness, at home for a reason. That's where he wants you in culture. He wants you to take the gospel and affect society. His desire is for you to abide in him and he will use you as you permeate this world, living among the world as salt and light, Jesus said. Salt has those properties of flavor and arresting or slowing down the rot of meat. They would put salt in meat so the rotting process would slow down. And you think of the rottenness of our world as the church The church is that salt and light in darkness. Even the smallest light fills a room of the dark room. Even the smallest light can light up a darkened room. But you know what happens? You get caught up in it all. You get caught up in it all. And you sound like the world. And you live like the world. And then you're not speaking in any difference. There's no difference between you and the world. Because you're mad like the world's mad. And you're upset like the world's upset. And the language is like, oh, what, what? notice what Jesus says. He says in verse 3, he says, go your way. And listen, this is so key. I send you out as lambs among wolves. Not the other way around. 
I don't send you out as wolves against the wolves. You are lambs, which speak of vulnerability, timidity, dependence. When you're sent out into a hostile world as a lamb, you know what you need the most? Your shepherd. (laughs) Your shepherd. A lamb is super, super in trouble if they're not close to their shepherd. No, but, but what happens is, is the wolves, you know, Christians think they need to go out as wolves. That's not what Jesus said. I'm going to be a wolf and I'm going to take on the wolves. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to look like a wolf, sound like a wolf, and have absolutely no effect because Jesus said go out as lambs. It's going to be different. You're going to be different. It's going to be a distinction. You're going to bring hostility. Your very life in Christ is going to bring wolves around. Your very life in Christ is going to be liars around. They're going to be mockers around. There's going to be scoffers, people undermining you, trying to, people trying to get rid of you. Get, like All of that is part of the normal Christian experience because Jesus said, I want you to go out. You're going to be like lambs. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be hurt. But I'm going to be with you. You need the world. Just like the world needs you. And you go, what? I need the world like I need a rotten tooth. No, no, you need the world. Because the world refines you. The world challenges you. You know, every time you get that rise, every time you get that upset, every time you're like, oh, I can't believe this world. You need the world so you can learn how to die to yourself more and more. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, well, whatever it is that you can't believe, die to yourself. Well, do you, did you hear? Actually, I didn't hear, but it sounds like you did. Sounds like you need to die to yourself. Yeah, but you won't understand. You won't believe it. I probably won't believe it, but it sounds like God's doing a work in your life right now. Teaching you how to depend, how to trust, and how to navigate a very difficult world in the power of Jesus Christ. Why? To make you more effective with the gospel. It makes a difference. What kind of church does Jesus want us to be? One filled with compassion for the lost, one that walks in his direction, one that's come to seek and save the lost. So that our, if we did have verbs that describe us, the verbs that would describe us is we too seek and save the lost. That we too are are stepping into people's lives. That we too are generous, loving, caring, laying aside all of our preconceived prejudicial opinions that we all have and dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. That's where life is. That, it's hard, it's tiring, it's draining, and it's fulfilling because it's exactly where God wants you, church. So Father, we pray for that in our lives. It's easier to say than it is to do, but, but we're undeterred, God. We're undeterred by our weaknesses of our flesh. We're undeterred by our attitudes. We want to have more of you, you must increase, and we must decrease. So we pray that into our life of a ch- as our church. Lord, we don't want to be this little country club church where we gather together and talk about all of our comfortable lives and then leave. But rather, Lord, we want to come together, be built up in you, and take whatever you've given us, comfort and ease, whatever it might be, and, and it cause that to be a position that you positioned us to infiltrate a very hurting world. Forgive us for labeling. I mean, we all do it. I don't know one person among us that hasn't done that, hasn't cast some prejudgment on someone because of 
their status, the color of their skin, their language, their citizenship status, whatever. Their, where they live, what city they're in. I just pray for those that have made fun of our city all these years. That you would touch their hearts, God, and give them a heart for the hurting in this city. Oh yeah, it's hard. But we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.